Thanks for tuning in to the Glenridge Church message. Our mission is to love God, love people, and live to change the world. If we can help you in any way at all, feel free to reach out to us on hello at glenridge.org.za. Setting apart what an absolute uh, amazing time we're in. Amazing is probably not the right word, but just a phenomenal time that we're in. But God is moving, and God has not stopped. God is... As we've said many times, God is not taken by surprise by these moments. And uh, what we've got to do is find out what God is actually doing. Because there is a real sense that God is doing something very profound in our hearts. Everybody's talking about the new normal. Well, the new normal of our hearts with Jesus. The new normal of our lives lives with God. And um, that's, that's, that's a big part of our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus. And... uh, so we've got, to, we've got to really embrace that and say, God, what are you doing? And start to press into that. There's been words like recalibrate. There's been words like um, renew, renew, reset. Uh, these are all kind of rebirthing. These are all kind of words that, that are being put out there. This is echoing a bit, but I'm sure Darren will get it right. Um, and, it sound, and, and, and these are all words that actually God is kind of doing and everybody can sense it. What I want to do this morning, we're actually in the series in the book of Acts, and I'm again not going to be preaching out of the book of Acts. So if you've been here for two or three weeks, you wouldn't even know that we're in the book of Acts, but because we've been doing other things, we've kind of got, gone down a, ra- a rabbit trail of, of God really speaking to us. And friends, really what we want to do is we want to be faithful what God is saying to us as a community, what God is put, wanting to put us into our hearts and make sure that we are doing that thing. And as, a, and, and as a community, and then as, as leaders, as elders, as shepherds, we want to make sure that we are shepherding everybody towards that goal of what God's doing. And so that's why we kind of don't mind going on a rabbit trail. But we, we felt God say, actually, we, we, God's calling us to a radical Christianity. A radical Christianity, which, is, which means that there's a big contrast between who we are and what the world is. If there's no difference, there's no, that's not radical, that's just being the same. But actually there's this, there's this thing that God wants to do in our hearts that is profoundly radical. And so we spoke about finding your first love and, and we, I, spoke, I preached about being lukewarm, what that looked like and what God was wanting to do. He, wanted, he wants us to have a hot, fiery love for Him and, uh, and to be living our lives in such a way. Heather spoke about a quest that we're on and actually the people that you go on the journey with Make a big difference to the journey that, you, that you're on, as well as to the ultimate destination that you're going to. Jan last week spoke about radical disciplines for a radical disciple. It's like, the, and, and she spoke about, be still and know that I'm God. One of, one of the disciplines that we have is just to be still in a very hurried and a very busy, in a, in, a, in, a, in a world that's calling for our attention all the time, cell phones and tablets and all sorts of things, telephones and just radios and just all the time, there's just this noise. And Jan encouraged us just to be still and allow God to speak and allow God to form. What I want to talk about this morning is out of Nehemiah chapter 4, if you wouldn't mind turning there. Um, Whenever God wants to reset, renew, rebirth, wants to take something forward, we've got to know this as we're going to have opposition to that. And I think for some of you, I spoke to three or four people this week, 
Actually, you're feeling you're in the midst of the opposition. God's, you, God's calling you. There's a faith to step into something new. There's a faith to step into something more. And it's amazing how many people are making big decisions now. Kind of when I say big God decisions, I mean. Like they, they're wanting to step in, but actually they're in this vulnerable place and they're kind of not sure what is it, what's going on. And I want to speak this morning about the opposition that we can expect, the opposition that we, we know is coming in the season of rebuilding and in the season of rebirthing out of Nehemiah chapter 4. The context of the book of Nehemiah, it's actually that book, Nehemiah, is written in conjunction with Ezra, the book before that in the Bible. And uh, Ezra was tasked by God to go and restore the temple after the Israelites had been in, in exile for 70 years. So they get, he gets told that you must go and restore, build, rebuild the temple. That's half the book of Ezra. The second half of the book of Ezra is Ezra teaching the people what it means to how to live in the presence of God and what to, what to do because they've kind of been in, in exile and they, they've, got to be, they've got to be re-educated on all of that stuff. And then Nehemiah is another, is another story which follows on from that. And God tasks Nehemiah to go and restore the wall around Jerusalem. The temple's been restored the priesthood has been restored. Education is being restored. And now God says, I want you to build a wall around Jerusalem and restore the wall so that Jerusalem can be a safe city. And so that's, that's the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah chapter 1 to chapter 3, if you only read Nehemiah chapter 1 to chapter 3, you would think that Christian, Christianity is the most cushy, amazing life ever. Because actually what happens is he gets a heart for the city he goes to the king, and the king says to him, listen, he was the cupbearer of the king, and he goes to the king, and the king says, What's, why are you so downcast, uh, Nehemiah? And he says, hey, you know what, I've got, I've got pain in my heart for my city that's in, in ruins. And uh, it's a big step for him to do that, but he's been praying, and, he, and God opens the door, opens the king's heart to him. And the king goes, and he says to him, well, why don't you go back? Why don't you take some people back? And by the way, I'll pay for it. By the way, don't worry, I'll give you an escort, I'll give you some bucks, I'll give you whatever you need, we, I'll, I'll, I'll supply, I'll, 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 get it for, I'll give it to you. Nehemiah's like, shepherds, this is incredible. And so they go back, and they begin to build the gates of the city. And then they finish the gates, and then Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4 starts. You see, Nehemiah chapter 1 to 3 you, when, when, you, when you've, got, you've got a letter from the king saying that you're allowed to do what you can, you've been provided for, you've been protected, everything's there. It's absolutely amazing. It's like, God, you are so good. You are so amazing to me, and you're so good. It's just like everything's falling into place until Nehemiah chapter 4 happens, and they start to get opposition for the thing that God's called them to do. So let's read Nehemiah chapter 4 with that in mind. There's two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, who are not cool guys. And they are causing these guys a lot of trouble. But let's have a look. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. Sanballat is a leader in the area and he is primarily concerned, so commentators say, that this is going to disrupt his trade, cash. It's 
It's always around money. Money is always at the root of these evil things. And what's happening is that Jerusalem's going to be restored, and all the trade and all the thing that was happening there is now going to be interrupted. So that's the kind of motive many commentators say. But this is what, ha- this is what he does. Symbalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, and they became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in, his, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? It's quite amazing, friends, how opposition, it's not just Sam Ballot coming and saying that. He comes with all of his mates and an army and says that. Sometimes it feels like that's happening to us. I'm talking here about building a wall. I'd love, I'm hoping that it's going to get into our hearts, that we can apply to our lives, because this is a very similar process that we go through as we journey through life um, following Jesus. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? What they are building, even if a fox climbed on it, he would break, it would break down the wall into stones, the wall of stones. He's saying, actually, like even if a little fox went up on it, it's actually what you're doing is so pathetic, even if a fox stood on it, it actually would crumble apart. Listen to verse 4. Hear us, O Lord. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Nehemiah starts praying. Turn their insults back on their own heads. It's a hectic prayer. Give, over, give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from us, your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. He prays this radical prayer. Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their hearts. Some translations say God gave them a mind to work, gave them a heart to work. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to the Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, so they were building around, and the gaps were slowly starting to close, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed, about, prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near, near them came and told us ten times over, whenever you turn, they will attack us. A whole bunch of negativity starts to come upon them. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, 
Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. They've been given a mandate in God. You've got the papers from the king. In Jesus, we have the papers of the king written by the blood of his son. And we've, we've not just been saved, not just been brought into relationship with Jesus and with God, but actually we've been commissioned to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We've been called by God to go and build the walls. We've been called by God to go and be the, the best accountant that you can be or the best doctor you can be or the best teacher you can be. You've been given an assignment under God to go and do these things. And what I want to look at this morning is five things that we can expect when we're on a God assignment and we God's busy rebuilding and rebirthing and taking us into more. Friends, we've got to believe in these days that God is taking us into more, not into less. These moments, I 100% believe this, is that all things work to the good for those that love Him. In Jesus, all things work for those that work for the good. Friends, I can tell you right now, there is going to be a whole bunch more good that's going to come out of COVID and this pandemic than what there is going to come to bad for those that love Him. And we've got to begin to believe that and understand that and begin to understand some of these things I'm going to say today so that we're not surprised when opposition comes. And we're ready for it and we can know how to handle it. So, this is what it says. My first point is simply this. Is simply this. God's will always includes opposition to those that want to perform it. Please, friends, what we can't do is we can't be unaware of the plans of the enemies, the strategies and the schemes of the enemy. This is not to elevate the schemes of the enemy. It's to become aware of his plans so that we're ready to push through when the opposition comes. The first thing is this, is that when we are doing God's will, it will always, and I want to say always, include opposition. We cannot be surprised. The plans and processes of God will always come with the plots of the enemy. And we can't be unaware of that. Corinthians says that don't be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. Even with a legal mandate from God, you've heard from God, you know what you're doing is in God, understand opposition is going to come. You've got the letter giving you everything you need to do, what you meant to do. Still, opposition is going to come. It's quite amazing in Nehemiah's case how the opposition increased as he moved towards building the walls. In chapter 2, verse 10, it says that these guys, Sambalat and Tobiah, were disturbed. It's like they get in the land, they're like, hey, what's these guys? Who are these guys? What's happening? Where? In 2.19, they begin to mock and ridicule them. Until eventually you get to chapter 4, where they become incensed and very angry and want to do violence against them. They want to intimidate them. There's this growing sense of opposition in, from the enemy as we begin to step into what God has for us. Don't be unaware of the plans of the enemy. Don't be unaware of what God is wanting to take you into. We've got to make sure that we are in Christ, 
We know who we are. We know who He is so we can keep on fighting forward in what He's got for us. Listen to this. They catch them, and obviously, as I said earlier, they always do it with mates. You never get opposition with one and one. It's, uh, it's associates and an army come and say, right, listen, this, now, we, now we've, we're very brave because we've got a whole army here. Now listen to me. And these are the things he says. What are these feeble Jews doing? And friends, I, 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 you will know this because I, I go through this. What are these feeble Jews doing? They bring focus around our weakness. The voices, the opposition always wants to bring focus around our weakness. What are these feeble Jews doing? It's not they're asking what are they doing. They know what they're doing. They just want to say you feeble. And so when we hear the words, you feeble idiot, what are you doing? We know that that's not God and that's the opposition. And now we need to turn that radio off and turn the other one on that says you are strong in me. Will they restore the wall? The voices come to negate the prophetic intent over your life and the thing that God's called you to do. Will they restore it? Will they do this? Lots of questions. Will they? You see, the plan of the enemy is to get us to question what God's called us to do. To get us to question God and get us to question what He's called us to do. Will they offer sacrifices? This is another question. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they give glory to God in this? Starts to question our motive. Is this for me or is this for God? Friends, I hope you're recognizing some of these things in your own life. You feeble idiot. Who did God really say that? Is, or what are you doing? Is your motive good? Is it actually for you or is it actually for God that you're doing this? What about this question? Will they finish it in a day? Are you just going to pray this into being? I mean, how can these feeble people get on with this job? They want to undermine their courage, their optimism, their their sense of God's called me to do this. We go out and we start doing it. They they want to let them know, do you have any idea what you're taking on? Do you have any idea how big this is, this job is? You think you're going to just come here and do it in a day? There's these voices all the time. The opposition comes in at the people of God. Can they bring these stones back to life, he says. He wants to undermine their ability. These are the questions that we face when we're doing anything for God. What are they building if even a flock climbs on it? And even if you get it done, you're going to probably do such a bad job that it's not going to withstand a fox standing on it. You see, friends, if the enemy can't stop us from doing something, he wants to shrink the thing that he wants us to do. So we live in only a portion of what God has for us. And we cannot be unaware in this moment the voices of the enemy in our behalves at this time when God is pressing us through. You know the Bible, it says there, it says the wall was half finished. The wall was built half its height. And the gaps were closing. I feel like this is a moment where the wall that God has called us to build, or the thing that God's called us to build, is actually at half its height. But when the thing is at half, when it's half done, it's actually quite a vulnerable time. There's something good, there's something encouraging about seeing that we've done some work, but we also know that there's still a lot of work to do. And that's when the enemy comes in and says, Yeah, but look at you, man, you're feeble. 
What can you do? Who are you? Your motives. You're not doing this for God. You're doing this for yourself. And all these questions start to come. Remember, friends, Sambalat and Tobiah didn't care that they had an edict from the king to do this. They still come. They can't, with legal authority, stop them from doing it. So what they do is they come to discourage them, to drain the faith out of their hearts, and to ask them all these questions, and to intimidate them so they don't step into what God has for them. Friends, God's got the, the wall. The wall is half done, half high. God has still got something for us that He wants us to fulfill, that He wants us to step into in this rebuilding, renewing, rebirthing thing. And at this stage, we cannot be listening to the voice of the enemy. We've got to be hearing the voice of the Father. He says, this is my son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. This is my daughter, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. This is that time. This is the time to believe that God will work everything for the good for those that love Him. Not to listen to these questions. So the first thing is this. Understand that we've got to expect opposition. In fact, if you've got no opposition, one of the questions you can ask is what I'm doing called of God. I want to be that blatant with it. The second thing that we see here with Nehemiah is that prayer is not an option in a season of rebuilding and taking ground. Prayer is not optional, friends. It's amazing. He hears these things. The first thing he does is he says, Hear us, hear me, O God. And he just prays this radical prayer where you think, is that Christian to pray? Smash them, take them into captivity, decimate them, kill them, Lord. I mean, it's not what he says, but kind of, that's what he says. You see, prayer for, for, for Nehemiah, prayer was his first resource, not his last resort. Prayer becomes, in a moment like this, in the moment that we're in, the world's half done, and God's stepping in, and we're stepping into more of what he has for us. Prayer's got to be our first resource, not our last resort. And when it gets so bad, and we're actually beaten down, and we're lying on the floor bleeding, oh God, please help me. Now when you're standing, and when you're strong, oh God, please help me. This never depended on me ever before. And it's never going to depend on me. You gave me the favor. You gave me the authority and the letter. You come and provide. And you come and give, give me the strength to go through this. Prayer, friends, is not an optional extra. And listen to his prayer. It's urgent. Hear us, oh God. It's honest. Lord, we've been, what's the word he used? We are despised. It's honest. Father, we despised. I've got nothing. It's just like, it's just overwhelming, all the voices. It's honest. It's urgent, and it's honest, and it's passionate. Listen, what he tell, asks God to do? Turn their insults back over on their heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. It's like he is just hectically praying against these guys. But it's this passion to say, God, let nothing stop your will in my life, through my life, for your kingdom. Prayer is not a first is, must be a first resource, not a last resort. 
He asked God passionately to fight on his behalf. Friends, if we think we're going to get what God's called us to do done with our strength, we are sorely mistaken. It's the very thing that God wants to do. And I spoke about lukewarmness. The root of lukewarmness is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficient people don't need to pray. They don't feel the need to pray because they're self-sufficient. God-sufficient, God-empowering, God-resourcing people know they've got to be tight with the Father in times of moving forward and stepping in. What's amazing in this, in this text, when you see his prayer and then you look at verse 6, it says, we, so we, he prays and it says, we rebuilt the wall till all of it was reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. God gave the people a heart to work or a mind to work, uh, the ESV says. It's an amazing thing. We pray, oh God, help them and smite them. Help us fight for us. You know what God's answer to that is? He gives us a heart and a mind to get on with the work. I find that fascinating. It's not like you see the enemies lying dead on the, on, the, on the battlefield. No, it's the passion and the urgency and the reliance that God wants. And what he does, he puts something in us that we can have the heart and the mind to do what he's called us to do and not give up. So even our prayer, friends, we, don't be a surprise when God doesn't answer the prayer the way you think he's going to, the way you prayed it. Thank God he doesn't answer all of our prayers. Some of our prayers are so faulty and would land us in such bad trouble. God's plan is always better than our prayers. And so he always molds our prayers. He sees the heart and he says, listen, my boy, that wouldn't be that good. Rather, let's put that aside and let's take that portion and let's go for it. It's beautiful. So number two, prayer is our first resource, not our last resort, in a time of rebuilding and rebirthing and taking ground as we are in now. The third thing I want to encourage you with, doesn't seem like an encouragement, but it will. You can expect moments of discouragement in the journey. Don't be surprised when you have moments of discouragement. These guys had lots of opposition and they had lots of moments of discouragement. You see, friends, can I just say this about prayer under this kind of thought. See, prayer is not a convenient device for removing life's problems, but it's a loving God's provision for coping with them. Prayer is not a convenient device for removing life's problems. It's the loving God's provision for coping with them. It gives you a heart. It gives you a mind to do the work, even in the face of opposition. It is significant that the halfway mark has been reached, friends. And I don't know if COVID is in its halfway mark, but I know this is we're, we're a good way into the journey and God wants us to complete the work, not to back off because of the feeling of opposition. It's like the middle overs of the cricket match, a one-day international. First overs, it's, open, it's like hitting sixes because it's kind of you, the field spread out, and then the last overs is also hitting sixes. But the, the, just getting, getting the job done in the middle overs of, the, of a cricket match, that's where the team either gets set up or not. Friends, this is like the middle overs. It's halfway done, and actually we've got to step into what God has for us and not lose courage. 
fatigue and discouragement were ready to set into these guys. And in some ways, it's like that for us as, a, as believers. What we cannot do is give in to that. It's amazing. Look at, look at how, they, how they discourage them. Verse 10. The people in Judah said, the people of Judah. You know, Judah means praised. They were the strong ones. They were the ones that led out when, when, the, when the Israelites moved out. The people of Judah says, say this. Verse 10, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble we can't rebuild the wall. Friends, we will have moments of discouragement and we will think we have not got the strength to do this. We will think that actually we can't do this. It's just too much. The financial thing, it's just too much. The relational thing, it's just too much, Lord. Actually, I just, I just want to tap out. I just want to actually step back. I want to go back to captivity. Give you back your letter and just park off. Have you ever felt like that? I have. Plenty. A lot of the time. I've always said to you, I've got a gift of negativity, while Heather's got a gift of positivity. <laughs> Verse 10. He says there's too much rubble. They had to clear away the old ruins before they could build the new walls. Don't, don't stop God allowing you to take away the old things before he can reestablish the new things at this time. You know, it's, it's, it's like they said, there's just too much. There's too much debris. There's too much stuff. It's, I can't do it, Lord. The job's just too big. It's too big. You're right, it's too big. That's why God is our strength and our moment of weakness. They were just overwhelmed by the daunting reality of the practicalities of, actually, I can't even just build a wall. I've got to take the rubble off first. So you like with wheelbarrows, like spend three months with wheelbarrows. You haven't done anything. You haven't built anything. All you've done is clear stuff away. Does that not feel like some of our lives? Friends, you will expect moments of discourage. And remember this, people will be used by the enemy to discourage us. Verse 12, he says, whichever way you turn, there'll be opposition. You're thinking, oh, God, that's what my life feels like. It's like I'll turn this way, and the open garage door breaks. And I turn this way, and the washing machine falls apart. And I turn this way, and my kids are doing something they shouldn't be doing. I turn this way, and somebody's criticizing me. I turn this way, and there's financial, what's happening here? We, I got a, a 9,000 rand electricity bill this month as a gift. It's just no matter which way you turn. Friends, we've got to grow a pair. Can I just say that? Stand up. Stand up as sons and daughters of God and say, God, you've called me at this time. Look, the work is half done. Actually, I want to complete the work. I want to complete the work now. This is not a time, friends. This is not a time to shrink back. This is not a time to be so discouraged. Friends, that's why I'm telling you these things, so that you know that you're normal, so that you, when, when it comes, you can expect it, so that you can stand in the faith with what God's got for you. So often what happens is we go through these things and we think, cheapest Stan's got such a perfect life. And look at me. Can I give you my electricity bill, please? 
The third thing is expect moments of discouragement. Don't stay there. Don't dig a pit and get into self-pity. Get into Jesus and find courage again. The fourth thing is this. He prayed and he posted a God. He prayed and he posted a God. Friends, it's not a time to be super spiritual. Well, it's okay. I've prayed, so I don't need to do anything now. Super spirituality, the devil loves super spirituality. He finds a passive church, an apathetic church. We pray and we post to God. We pray and we do the things that we know we can do. And we allow God to empower those things that we're doing through our prayers. He posts to God day and night. Not just during the day, not just during the night. We all know what it's like to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning with panic over you and thinking, oh God, I'm not going to make it. Post to God day and night, not just the night when you're panicking. Make sure we're praying during the day. Make sure that we're giving time to God during the day so that we can overcome the night moments. He, he, it says he posted a God at the lowest points and the exposed areas. Friends, I want to say to you right now, in, and I really feel this in God for us, in a time of God expecting you to move into something new, all your previous low points are going to be tested. You once did porn, but you don't now. Watch for your low point. Watch for your exposed areas. Make sure that you are building up and, and make sure that we are aware of our low points. Because the enemy is coming back there. He's not going to test you at your strong point. He's going to test you at your low point first. And let's be people that understand what God is doing at this time and, and make sure our low points are well built up in Jesus. That we can withstand what God is wanting to do and take us into what God is wanting to do. He posted them by families. He posted a God by families. Friends, this is about a family thing. It's not just about you. Think of your family. He posted them with swords, with bows and spears and he put the full armor of God on them. This is a moment, friends, to take the full armor of God, all that God is and all that his God has said, and make sure that we are guarding our low points, guarding our exposed places, so that we can make sure that we can move into what God has for us over this time. He prayed and he posted a God. And lastly, the need for good spiritual leaders is absolutely crucial at this time. This is what he says. After I had looked over things, so he posts to God, and Nehemiah says, after I looked over things. You know God, you know God gives the church elders, leaders, that can look over things. God gifts them, gifts us to be able to look over things. Overseers, it's called. And the job of the overseer, the job of the one that stands back and looks over things, is look what he says. He says, tells them, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and fight for your brothers and sisters. Is to give perspective. You see, in this time, you've got to pray, you've got to plan, and you've got to get perspective. You've got to make sure your perspective is always big. And so my job on a Sunday, and this is why, friends, do not grow weary it talks about in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and, and get out of the habit of meeting together. 
This is a moment, friends. This is a moment in God where we constantly need people to be saying, don't be afraid. God's with you. Remember the Lord. He is great and awesome. Remember Him. Remember Him. I'm saying you to, telling you today, remember God. He is great and awesome. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is fighting on your behalf. He is with you and He will take you forward. There's nothing that you can do to offend Him in the blood of Jesus. Nothing. Your sin does not stand against you in Christ. Christ's blood covers you so that you can step into what God has for you, into relationship with Him and onto the mission that He has for you. My job is to remind you that God is great and God is awesome and that He's for you. And then my last job of this, according to Nehemiah, is to make sure that you understand what you're fighting for. It's for your, it's for your, it's for your look what he says, it's for your brothers, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. But the fight that we've got now, friends, is for a future generation. And so what God has done is he has seen it fit that we will be the generation that will walk through COVID and this pandemic. And my job is to tell you, to, to remind you not to be afraid, for, to remind you about a God who is great and awesome, and for you to never forget that what you do now has bearing on the generations to come, and we need to do it well. Amazing, huh? The value of being in a church family, friends. Don't get out of the habit of meeting together, chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says. Especially in these days. You need, you, you know what it says there? This is also part of my job. It's a gift to you from me. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Provoke one another on. It's actually quite a hectic word. It's not like pat, you know, carry on. It's like spur, like, mm. like get moving towards love and good deeds. The other words are like incite. In the Strong's Concordance, like an alternative rendering could be incite one another to love and good deeds. Like incite's a hectic word. Or irritate one another on to love and good deeds. Friends, God has got so much for us. And we've got to make sure that we are living in the, in the, in the wonder of all that He has for us. We've got to make sure that we are not surprised when opposition comes. We've got to make sure that prayer is not an optional extra in this season. We've got to make sure that moments of discouragement can be expected, but in Christ we overcome, and in the body we overcome. We've got to make sure that we pray and we post to God. Do the practical things, not just the spiritual things, and allow God to take us forward. And lastly, the importance of gathering together, being under spiritual leadership for good perspective, is a blessing to you. Father, I ask you for your power and your life to be upon us now. Father, I pray for anybody that is discouraged at this time, that they would stand up in strength this morning, Lord. That there'd be a spirit of courage, if there is such a thing, that would come upon us, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. Father, help us to put aside the voice of the enemy and to hear your crystal clear, refreshing voice in our lives, Lord, urging us on to more. In your amazing, amazing name.
Amen. Bless you guys.